If you were building a country club, do you think you'd be able to resist the urge to give it a filthy name? There's a lot of opportunity for innuendo there, you know? <laughs> I mean, golf is a sport all about shafts and balls, so I think it's holes. pretty. Yeah. Oh, There's yeah. Lot lots, of- lots of stuff's being put in holes. I think you have to go dirty. Like... You want to try to keep it classy, but you need to make sure people know when they come there that they're down for a good time, too. <laughs> it's hard to top Bushwood, though, right? That's a good name for it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it puts together two amazing things, a hairy <laughs> and a strong shaft that goes inside <laughs> of it. So let's keep in mind, this was set in the early 80s, right? So the, the hairy <laughs> part, that's that's you know, that's common knowledge at yeah. that point. Yeah. It's contextual at this point. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And today we are discussing Caddyshack 2, the very fucking derided sequel to a comedy classic. Yeah, I mean, the question that I have off the start is why the fuck did this ever get made? And Money. Yeah, I mean, it's always money. That's the answer, I guess. And I mean, if we're going to talk about money, we need to. I was going to say, (laughs) speaking of money, we have a special guest here today. It's only our second guest in the podcast studio here. Not only an avid golfer and lover of comedy, but a high ranking executive who is exactly the kind of rich guy that could afford a membership at the Bushwood Country Club. Our friend Brad is here. Brad, thanks for being here. Cooper Nolan, thank you guys for having me. It's, <laughs> yeah, no uh, problem. Quite quite the opportunity to come and flex my uh, my golf as well as hopefully uh, wealth knowledge. Yeah. Or, or, or should I focus on comedy for this one? I think it's all good. In all seriousness, what is your official position? Are you a COO? I'm a C-something. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it took me a while to earn my middle initial because we, uh, we didn't have the R that was revenue, but uh, CRO would be the official title. Fucking Judge Smales over here, huh? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But not about the golf part. You do love golf and you love comedy. I know the original Caddyshack is just a huge favorite of yours. So I'm assuming you were as disappointed as me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we we just watched it together, which was uh, probably the best part of the movie for me, was was riffing a bit. But uh, yeah, it's it's a massive stinking turd. I believe uh, one of the unsolved mysteries of this movie is why is it made? Oh, (laughs) reference to Robert Stack. One of the many, many substantial downgrades of this movie. Which one of those do you think is the most egregious? Because other than Chevy Chase, who's coming back for reasons that I think by this point we all know, He's the only cast member to return. So instead of Ted Knight, we've got Robert Stack. Instead of Bill Murray, we've got Dan Aykroyd. Instead of Rodney Dangerfield, we've got Jackie Mason. Well, Downgrades yeah, you, everywhere. What's you, the worst you, one? You miss Lacey Underall, too. I mean, she... Miffy Young doesn't yeah. do it for you as a, <laughs> as a substitute for Lacey Underall? Um, you know, I, I think most people would probably say Bill Murray, right? Like, And watching Aykroyd when he appears like with 20 to God, go in the movie is terrible. Just, Absolutely brutal. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with an underrated uh, answer, I think, here, which would be Judge Smales. I think yeah. I think Ted Knight is exceptional in that movie. Will not be replicated. Cannot be replicated. He's definitely replicated in this. Yeah. I'm surprised. You said most people would say Murray. I think Rodney Dangerfield is the more glaring really? downgrade to me. Jackie Mason... Well, he, I don't know, man. He's like a man at a time. He's just <laughs> he given, transported here from the 1950s. He's given too much, too much airspace in this movie, right? Like he has to carry way too much of the weight. And I don't know. It just doesn't come close for me. That's surprising that you said that because I would have thought for you, Jackie Mason would be a good upgrade. In fact, the only thing that kind of goes up in this movie is Jewish representation. So I would have thought, <laughs> you know, of I mean, everything. That I mean, went the down. Silverman, uh, the Silverman insert here for me was wonderful. I think yeah. that's the if we're talking about improvements uh, on the last one, having him here and not in the first. Well, that's 
That's an upgrade for me. There you go. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to cover all of this, all of the many, many downgrades and the possible upgrades or at least lateral moves. But first, as we always do, we've paired the movie with a beer and this selection was actually suggested to us by our guest today. So what are we drinking today, Brad? Well, we're, we're drinking in a, a lovely lager out of the Toronto, uh, Toronto area. I believe it's brewed in London. Dave can maybe fill in some more of the details. It's called Triple Bogey. I've, I've crushed one or, or seven or 17 of these um, <laughs> on the golf course myself. It's, it's very refreshing. So I, I brought this specifically for you, Coop. I, oh, I thank you. you. I heard lager. I perked up. Yeah, I, I didn't want to see you struggling. Um, and, and I, I actually brought a special, uh, a special other treat for us to, uh, uh, to maybe partake in towards the end of the podcast as, as you know, this is golf and the home of golf being Scotland. We've, uh, we've, we brought a special treat. So maybe we can cover that a little bit later. It's fucking, yeah, this is, uh, we introduced this, I guess here is a rich guy. He brought a fucking <laughs> bottle of scotch that I'm assuming probably fucking cost more than uh, an old shirt. <laughs> that's probably true I, i'm excited for both the beer and the scotch here um this is a husband and wife team who started this brewery and you're right they're out of toronto but they they don't have their own brewery space they brew their beer out of a london ontario facility uh and this was their first one i think the the premium lager and they now have a light and an amber i think their major market is golf courses right like they wanted to create a beer that people would buy off that golf cart as they were going around and I, i've heard that they've been incredibly successful over the last few years doing that this has a huge reach so i'm excited to try it i think it'll be good you said there was a slogan around this and i thought that was pretty fun yeah i think i think it's uh what is it a triple bogey has never been so easy to swallow i think that's a good one i like that one it adds a little comedy to it too i think it'll work incredibly well for our caddyshack episode and I'm excited. Caddyshack 2. Oh, don't, sorry. Don't you yeah. dare yeah. sell me the good goddamn name of Caddyshack. <laughs> For our Caddyshack 2 episode. And I'm also looking forward to uh, getting into a little bit of this scotch later. Uh, I definitely have a taste for the finer brown liquors and i'm looking forward to this that makes one of us but hey <laughs> i'm not going to turn down a free drink so let's get into these beers So we fade in on an idyllic summer day. Golfers are peacefully walking towards their next hole when suddenly we hear the music from Jaws. Now we all immediately knew what that meant. It's the famous gopher from the first movie who is one of only two remaining cast members, including Chevy Chase. Now do you think the gopher also had a cocaine problem and needed to support or... <laughs> that just, is that what Chevy Chase was doing here? It was uh, to fund his cocaine. I was, I was wondering if he had a divorce that was gone wrong and he was trying to pay for that because... Being the only one back here is is problematic. Do you think it's the same puppeteer for uh, the gopher in this one? or uh... Only you would think of or ask this question. I have no fucking idea. I don't know. Well, like I Frank Oz, do we have him on a retainer? Like, what? <laughs> I think it's important we uh, figure out whether it is a lesser puppeteer in this one. It plays a less significant role. I actually, for a minute, thought the gopher was carrying more weight than the first movie or that any puppet should in a movie involving people. How dare you? <laughs> well, I know you love puppets, but like he seemed like he was going to be a, a very prominent part and I'm kind of like less might be more with that you know yeah you're happy that it was sort of the role that he had so we do open with the puppet he's tearing up this beautiful golf course we get a nice zoom in on the Bushwood sign which we've already described and talk about uh, we know how awesome the name for that golf club is and then 
Uh, where do we head from there? Well, we get a flying golf ball graphic, an 80s riffic electric guitar riff, and then we meet a few young college types just golfing, gossiping, sharing salacious stories. These are all clearly wealthy people, although one of them seems far more down-to-earth than the others. We also meet our Danny Noonan type here. It's 90s almost star Jonathan Silverman, like you mentioned, who immediately gets sent on a ridiculous soda run as the theme music plays. Ladies and gentlemen... Kenny Loggins. <laughs> you can't complain about a Kenny Loggins opening, right? Like, they're going with the classics here. We've got the gopher. We've got a funny golf course name. We've got some young, fairly attractive golfers. And then we got Kenny Loggins going on here. I'm excited where this opens. Well, not to be the golf integrity guy, but can I go there for a second? Oh, yeah, Cause, absolutely. Because I, I believe the first shot we see struck is uh, Miffy, right? One, one of those uh, teenage somethings. And... The, the issue I have with it is that she's wearing the golf glove on actually her wrong hand. And she's a right-handed golfer. Very easy and simple to get a left-handed golf glove. Why can't we figure that out? I can't imagine that being a intentional choice. You're right. Why would they, right? Yeah. <laughs> All the things they don't put thought to into this. Why would they put 10 seconds worth of thought to being like, hey, if we put it on the wrong hand, people will know that she's like fucking inept. I don't think that's yet. It's hilarious if there is a like wardrobe person, though, who like is thought about this way more than everyone who wrote the movie. And that is sort of where they threw this in. That was their contribution. Yeah, that was their contribution yeah. to the movie. This is going to drive the golfers crazy. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, it worked, clearly. It is. It yeah. is. It is. So we've got some uh, golf inaccuracies. Very soon we're going to have some comedy inaccuracies. After the gopher steals what's left of the diet root beer that young Miffy ordered, the male member of the group, Todd Young, lets the caddies know that the club has recently invested in some electric golf carts and that their services will soon no longer be required. If only there were some kind of guardian angel who could swoop in, buy the club, and keep the caddies around. So here comes Rodney Danger, uh, Jackie Mason. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to get our hero of the movie. I don't know if hero is the right word. Every person or every man who works hard has made a lot of money in the construction industry, but is looking here to make this a place where his daughter belongs. And he wants it to be more of a place that everybody is welcome. No longer have that country club vibe. Is he Jewish? I'm just asking here. I think he's <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. His background is very inclusive, though, isn't it? I think he, he, he was mentions about one, seven one half. Isn't? Yeah, one half yeah. English, Jewish, one half quarter, Italian. Well, yeah. I asked. Quarter Italian, quarter <laughs> Irish, quarter Armenian. I think So we know that golf clubs have for traditionally been an exclusive place. Well, you and I don't know that. Brad knows that. That's true. I think that's not allowed anymore. I don't think there's too many of those places that still exist maybe a few uh, what's just we haven't just ask would, would nolan be allowed at your country club i i, I would be happy to host him anytime. <laughs> okay but would you need some kind of special pass or is there like a ribbon he has to wear there's a different parking lot for him <laughs> <laughs> oh man um we get his character just on full display immediately in a quick poker scene with some of his employees well make up your mind you want to play or you want to fold either you're going to play or you're going to fold because if you're not going to play and you're not going to fold then you're going to sit and between me and you, there's more comfortable places than this for a place to sit. He goes on for like 10 minutes like this. We find out that he is encountering resistance on one of his construction projects. The local historical society is protesting the build. So how does he decide to handle that? Well, he says he's going to talk to them and use some diplomacy, but... His diplomacy comes in the form of a bulldozer. He decides that these fucking old people who care about this ancient building need to get the fuck off his property. 
Uh, I mean, it was hilarious. I, they needed to have a problem for him. Uh, they needed to make a connection why his thing wasn't going to go on. But I think what they really were trying to do here was set the tone for a difficult relationship on the golf course coming up. Oh, that's coming up for sure. After chasing away the historical society, he drops his daughter off at the house of Miffy, who we saw earlier at the golf course. And after a rant in the car about what rich people name their children, we're treated to an introduction that doesn't quite pay that off, but close. Uh, <clears throat> Daddy, I'd like you to meet my friend Miffy. Miffy? <laughs> Miffy, that's a cute name. I knew a girl in school once. We called her Muffy. <laughs> Probably for different reasons. She was an ugly girl. She had a coming out party. They made her go back. <laughs> Say what you will about Jackie Mason. He's consistent. <laughs> he is unapologetically Jackie Mason. Oh Yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this style of comedy anymore, right? This is something that was pretty popular in the 60s, 70s, 80s, right? The sort of like just spit everything out there and throw as many jokes as the wall as you can. And I think it really lacks some subtlety. Although there were a few times in this moment he did pop me. There were a couple that came out at the right time. The timing was good and I laughed my ass off. But for the most part, this style of comedy does not carry for me anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's his, uh, it, it's his comedy or his suit. I mean, I don't know which is more outdated. <laughs> but, uh... God damn, yeah, the stuff he's wearing is ridiculous. Yeah. I think you're right. You touched on something good here, which is he he is going for quantity, not quality. Yeah, and that's the the glaring problem with this thing, right? It's trying to make a movie with none of the same people or quality, and yet have it carry some kind of tone or weight. The first one is the most popular or best golf movie ever. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly up there, right? I think there's discussion about that Tin Cup, uh, Happy Gilmore. Some people would maybe put at the top of the list. I think Caddyshack's the most iconic golf movie of all time, certainly. Legend of Beggar Vance? Ooh. No, not a, yeah. not a, not a winner. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Days, I don't know. Like, Caddyshack must be the biggest with golfers and non-golfers. Like, if you threw everything out there at people who enjoyed it. Tin, oh, yeah. Tin Cup, I'd say, is the biggest with women, especially middle-aged women. Sure. Like that's... Uh, <laughs> the Costner demo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Costner, Costner Renee, demo. Russo. It slays. Yeah. yeah, it slays for sure. And Happy Gilmore with our generation, I think. So those are, like, the big three. Somewhere down the list, Legend of Bang Bang Bang. <laughs> and way below that, Caddyshack 2. Is that where we're at here? Yeah, okay. Probably, yeah. Well, luckily, we are going to get some real comedy here in a second because our next scene finally delivers us a little Chevy Chase. Jack goes to meet with him about joining Bushwood, I guess, and we get some of the best comedy in this movie, even though Chase is operating at about one-third his peak here. He fumbles with a bunch of pool cues, calls multiple people by the wrong name, and sits on an old sleeping guest. And I remember thinking as we were watching this, We've peaked at the 17-minute mark. It's not going to get any better. <laughs> this is where we're at. You felt that was the best this movie had to offer? 100%. Oh, I was cringing at the pool cue scene. I was like, this is some pretty poor execution of physical comedy here. I'm hoping that the peak wasn't that like first three minute introduction we had. The locker room walkthrough, right? Though, like that, that followed the pool cues, and like that, that, that is very realistic. Like that gets seen every day of the week. Wrong names, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that they all had to do with him staring at their c first, though, before yeah. he named them. He almost knew them based on their c and not on their face. Yeah. And that is kind of the like sauna, golf, country club culture. You know the guy across from you not by his face, but by the cut <laughs> Wait, of his penis. What <laughs> saunas are you going into? Hang on a second. Well, when it gets all foggy in there, and or if you're looking down instead of at people's faces. As I said, Nolan, you're welcome anytime. Yeah. Over at my <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was entertaining, though. It was good. And after that stroll to the locker room, Chase introduces Jackie Mason to the club bigwig, Chandler Young, played by Robert Stack, the star of Unsolved Mysteries. 
He's interested in having Jack join for financial reasons, but his wife, who it turns out is the woman from the historical society who he ran off earlier, isn't on board for that and some other reasons as well. Racism. Uh, we do get a fun exchange here when she tells her husband. The man tried to kill me. Well, I'm sure he had his reasons. The fact is he's here now. I promised Miffy we'd play. You know what, man? That's funny shit. I laughed really hard yeah. at that line. I thought that was a hilarious husband reaction to his wife. This golf club thing is more important. If we can get his money in here, maybe we can do what we want. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. How do you feel about Robert Stack here in this role? This is going to be one of the only good things I say about this movie, but Robert Stack is underrated at comedy. The deadpan delivery, like, that's really solid, I feel. Right. I guess it's just me. <laughs> right. yeah. I guess it's just you. Um, I, I, well, I mean, I think I told told you my opinion earlier. I, I was a big, I, I was a huge Ted Knight fan. Well, he's so, no Ted Knight. I'm not saying he's better yeah, than Ted I was, Knight. I, I was struggling with it just generally because, uh, again, like I just, I, I wanted Judge Schmales to be there. I actually thought he was working hard in this. Like I was fairly impressed with the amount of effort he put in. There were times when he was showing up and I really enjoyed it. When he was forced to work, we're going to get into that later. I thought it was kind of funny. He was wearing the, the do-rag and working hard and being silly. I thought there was some good stuff in there. But you're right. This is all a big drop down from the first one. Speaking of maybe not not steps down, but steps sideways, Can we? I think we, we meet uh, Diane Cannon at this point of the movie as well. Yeah, correct? Diane Cannon yeah. Uh, doesn't really have a, a proxy in the first one, right? Like Roddy Dangerfield's going to pick up a lady. No, Rodney didn't, but yeah. like I guess Lacey Underall would probably be the proxy because oh, be like, wouldn't that be the dialogue? It'd be Miffy. No? no, but no, but Miffy Miffy has like what three scenes in this thing, and it's uh, it, like there there was a heart throb in that in that first movie, and yeah. that was that was Lacey Underall, and and now we're dealing with clearly Diane Cannon skewing a bit older though with Diane Cannon. Yeah, this is interesting. So she is a cousin or relative of the president and his wife, it sounds like. Yeah, but she's also like the club. Is she like a fitness instructor? It's totally unclear. I think she's doing like yeah. yoga at one point or some kind of calisthenics. I don't really know yeah. what she's doing there. I think she kind of doesn't feel a part of the country club kind of thing. She's there because she's a relative. And she becomes the partner for our character here, right? He, he's coming in and she joins him. And very quickly they build some chemistry and I'm I'm kind of interested. You said she's a bit older than the previous one, but she's much younger than him here too though. Oh yeah. Well, Jackie Mason's like 75. I mean, like it's not exactly No, uh, and she's what? Early 30s here, maybe mid 30s and she's pulling it off. She's she pulling, pulling something off. She's yeah. Pulling, yeah, she's the, pulling something off. The, the, um, <laughs> but that's the that, that was the parallel though too, right? So Lacey Underall in the first one, she was actually from out of town. She was from New York, and Bushwood was supposed to be in Nebraska, I believe. She's um, his niece. Judge Smales' niece. Judge right? Smales' yeah. niece, and in this case, it's it's Robert Stack's cousin. So I think I think we're drawing that parallel. Or I one hope of we many. are. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, she does end up having chemistry with Jackie Mason, which makes absolutely no sense to me. That's just you know. Uh, uh, this sounds like jealousy to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's the money you're saying? That, I don't know. <laughs> you um, just don't think his personality is enough for her, but I don't know. He brings it here. She's impressed with... Five minutes ago, you were saying <laughs> he was terrible. What's happening here? She, no. she melts from like moment one. It, she does, but I don't, yeah. I don't get it. Whatever. Uh, she's good. Robert Stack, underrated comedy. But you know what's not underrated comedy? The next scene where Jackie Mason goes golfing with Chandler Young and his family... This is a bunch of silly prop comedy involving elaborate golf clubs that allow Jack Harturian to make shots he has no business making, much like the shot he appears to be making with Diane Cannon. <laughs> That's a really good parallel. I mean, he has one club that fires off like a shotgun, launches the ball in the air, and then he has a putter that seems to have like satellite and laser imaging that will solve the green for him. 
It creates a grid like in fucking Tron on the grass (laughs) and it keeps like the ball just follows a path. The hilarious part about this is it would not work in today's movie. Like we understand technology so much better that this is one of those tech has aged and it looks so stupid. The one part I'd say was funny from this though was they did say that the laser technology interferes with pacemakers. And what did we have happen in the background, Brad? Well, I think we had uh, what a, a golfer collapse into the into the pond. We, it, I believe, the the golfer then says it's either a chili cheese dog or my my pacemaker. And <laughs> here, here we are. We know what it is, right? Yeah. So we're getting some cheap comedy here. That's yeah. kind of what this is all about in this movie. Low hanging in in many many ways. Oh God, dude, it's so low hanging. Um, I guess they're at a standstill with the whole construction thing here as in the next scene Harturian has to send his lawyer to meet with some of the historical society members and Chandler Young's son who is presumably there to represent the club's interests and who is Harturian's lawyer a very angry Randy Quaid playing the kind of zero to a hundred maniacal yelling role that Nicolas Cage would make famous a decade later (laughs) you couldn't have seen Cage in this lawyer role oh my god yeah I definitely could but I I did enjoy the performance here certainly the introduction to him and him being so over the top Instead of using rule of law, he just threatens the life of everyone involved, and it's pretty fucking hilarious. Randy Quaid leans in hard here. It's clear that this isn't going to go as smoothly for either side as we think. I don't know. How did you feel about the Randy Quaid inclusion here? Well, I mean, he came out strong. I think we're going we're gonna to find out where he goes, because uh, I don't think any of us were happy with the evolution of that character throughout the, the movie. Um, we're also kind of introduced to what... what uh, um, Hatch's kid does right, which is his lawyer. Uh, I keep I want to keep saying Hatch. What's what is Stack Stack Robert Stack? Kind of you know uh, embodies the the country club aura. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. He absolutely is. What's interesting is he's kind of going to be the possible love interest of the daughter of, of Kate. Yeah, yeah, Kate. Of Kate, the daughter, and so. Is she going to go with the traditional country club guy or we're going to find out later? Is it the caddy, the sort of lower Jonathan Silverman? Yeah, the Silverman character who reminds her maybe of her father. We're going to see which one she goes with. That's going to be one of the subplots here. But also when you were talking about the country club aesthetic, he's also perfectly embodying the 80s movie villain aesthetic. (laughs) He is like the preppy rich kid that's a douchebag, right? Like you could have put him in any high school movie. He would have played the exact same Same wireframe glasses when he gets serious. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I was picturing him on a sweater tied around his neck. Sure, why not? I was like, this is the evil guy on the ski slope. Like, he's going to come down the hill and make sure he takes out the, like, attendant who's working at the bottom of the hill. Was he ski school? I don't know. (laughs) That's what he reminded me of, for sure. Todd is his name, which is a very good (laughs) 80s fucking rich kid villain name also. Well, with this much resistance, Jackie Mason realizes he's going to have to grease the wheels a bit at the club, so he meets Robert Stack for some horse riding. This quickly turns into a measuring contest involving an escalating series of jumps. Jack and his farting horse get off to a rough start, but by the end, they're making jumps over the walls and a prone Robert Stack, who takes a huge pratfall into the mud after taunting Jackie Mason. And the horse farts as it flies over him. You said low-hanging fruit earlier. Calling this low-hanging fruit is an insult to low-hanging fruit. This is like (laughs) fruit on the floor. This is floor fruit. Yeah, the like gas sounds coming out of the horses is pretty rough. I think it was kind of a like a filler scene, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) You're calling padding here. You're calling padding. Listen, I love to call padding. I think this is also one of those things where they had the idea for the joke and then tried to write the scene around it and fit it in the movie. 
oh, what if uh, he's on a horse and the horse is farting? And then it's like, then you, how do we put that in the movie? They do it like that. They yeah, that just it? leaning into like the, like the rich country club culture of like, sure, hey, we're yeah. going to ride horses. Yeah. We're going to Because that doesn't golf, happen in most gonna... country clubs too, you know, right? It's like golf and horses. Pop- yeah, where does this take place? Nowadays. Was this all at the country club or were they somewhere yeah. different? Yeah, they're the country club. There is horseback riding at the Bushwoods? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. I thought they should have went with some bareback jokes here. I thought we were going to get some jokes about some of them coming in, uh, it had to be bareback. There's no way you protect yourself when you're heading to the bushwood. Like, come on. Um, there was a bit of sex jokes in here. Like, there was some innuendo thrown in. I wish they went further with it rather than the That's very clear jokes. from your 19 times you just said bareback. If that wasn't obvious to everyone listening, it's clear that you were hoping yeah, for more sex. you know where jokes. I wanted yeah. to go. Yeah, that's just the way that I live my life. <laughs> God damn. Well, things don't get better in the next scene. As we get the most glaring example of what a downgrade this movie is, much like in the original where Roddy Dangerfield shows up at a club dinner and creates chaos by insulting the guests and getting the band to play Earth, Wind, and Fire, Jackie Mason shows up and dances an exaggerated mambo with Diane Cannon while the gopher sneaks in and gets drunk on wine. Boy, this is a tough room. (laughs) Yeah, tough room indeed. This scene is just egregiously bad. His physical comedy of dancing is not pulling any weight. And then I know the gopher getting drunk is a bit of a throwback to the previous one, but it doesn't really bring anything to this scene. Like, nothing happens because it's drunk. Like, it just seems like it's a way to stick in the gopher again and to have another dance scene. But it it seems like a waste of time here to me. I feel like they just knew the scene was dying. They were like, hey, put the gopher in there. We'll get some laughs from the gopher because there's nothing else happening here (laughs) But it wasn't even funny. Like, the gopher puppeteering. This scene is fucking padding, for the record. I mean, him him slurping up a noodle while they were, like, finishing their dance was kind of... Oh, okay, I, I might have missed the noodle. The drinking part was... This is what weird. we're saying. An <laughs> yeah. animatronic gopher slurping a noodle is the big get of this scene. This movie blows ass. <laughs> you're, you're sitting there being like, oh, I missed the noodle. Like That was a big thing. No. Picture a fucking stuffed um, gopher sucking a noodle up. It's not funny. Yeah, I'm struggling with the physical comedy here. Like, I don't think Jackie Mason is pulling off the dance and the other part. Right, and and it can't even be brought back by the sexiness brought on by his partner. Everyone else looking grumpy is really brutal too, and the gopher doesn't do enough. I wish it got up to some shenanigans after it got drunk. Like that could have pulled in some fun stuff here. I know you were worried about it taking over though, but I mean, again, anything's nothing, better than what's yeah, happening right now, right? Not. Like that would have done something. How do we transition from this though? Where do we go from here? Well, you know, we haven't seen much of in this movie. Anything to do with golf. That <laughs> well, changes yeah. with the next scene, kind of, because Jack's daughter leaves the party and spots Jonathan Silverman hitting golf balls and decides to have a deep conversation with him about the class system. Because if there's one thing that's a surefire laugh getter, it's a deep conversation about the class system. <laughs> like, Yeah, this whole section here, we're going to class system comedy. He knows she's not from this world. She's not upper upper, and she has the money to be upper upper, but she does not have the pedigree or background. Well, she wouldn't be talking to him if she was upper upper. Yeah, they help. She'd be like holding her nose at him, right? That wouldn't be happening. So he knows where it is. She asks him where he is, and he identifies himself as upper lower, and he aspires to be middle middle, which was actually kind of funny. The delivery of that line, I didn't hate. Um, But you know, I'm kind of partial to Silverman. There's a (laughs) a bit of a bias there, maybe. <laughs> um, but this all gets interrupted because uh, who comes out and sees them talking? Oh, it's fucking Todd, of course. He's got to be there to ruin the party for everybody. He tells her to come with him to. Isn't it some funny? Yeah. She always she always hosts the after party. That's right, and I guess that's going to be a rager. So uh, the daughter leaves for now. 
And yeah, just a pretty unfunny scene, but that's okay because the last will surely come in our next scene. It's a slave auction. <laughs> well, sorry, not literally. Uh, uh, these uh. are, these are uh, to be clear, these are society slaves. Although the auctioneer does encourage everyone to think Mandingo. And I wish everyone listening could have seen the look on Noel's face when you realize this was not a reference to the famously well-endowed porn star. <laughs> My only connection to that is that performance actor. It turns out <laughs> performance actor. It turns out that he has embraced that name. This is like this is dark shit that they're bringing up here and that they are sharing for comedy. I'm having trouble with it, right? It doesn't feel okay. You wouldn't have this scene today no it's not even close not. Oh my no, God. it wouldn't it would never happen um so they are all the society people are going up for auction and the bids are starting kind of low who decides to start throwing some money at it here well the first slave on the block nope i don't feel good about that sentence <laughs> is chandler young's wife she of the historical society and you'll never guess who buys her it's jackie mason who outbids her own husband so robert stack's gonna be in the doghouse for sure but things can always get worse. Turns out Hoturian decides to buy all of the society slaves, including Chandler Young himself. So we're heading towards a big fucking orgy, right? <laughs> I believe, I believe in a, an $11,950. Yeah, that is not that much cash. Am I it's crazy? Not. For no, him, it's not. Even for 1980, yeah. whatever the fuck. Like, that's not. Was it 88? But if you throw down yeah. 12 grand, if you throw down 12 grand, you're expecting some services in return. These for are that. super elite fucking rich people. He, I was expecting a number in like the hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And I think he, what, the, the uh, eight, nine, ten folks he had up there on the stage. Quite like a few, yeah. yeah. It's enough for a good-sized orgy, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying that if I'm spending 12 grand, I hope it is for sexual purposes and none other. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> no, what's he really going to do with all of these people that he purchases at all auction? All right, so it's not about an orgy for him. He is going to show them a hard day's work. He's going to bring this country club crew over to his work site, and they're going to help out for the day. Oh, my God, dude. This construction scene is fucking ridiculous. They're just doing the worst kind of slapstick comedy there are safety violations all over the place and the whole thing ends with basically a rube goldberg type series of bumps and falls it also results in robert stack and the boys taking a vote in the club steam room jack hartoonian is out of bushwood and that construction project is getting shut the fuck down is this a classic game of chess or checkers because it feels like one move at a time right I think well that fucking construction scene felt like a game of mousetrap all those things falling <laughs> out of <laughs> Yeah, it's true. The old woman who was complaining about the historical society, she like kind of falls off of a ladder into a giant thing of, uh, what is it? Insulation. Uh, insulation. Yeah. It yeah. saves her. Yeah. She had no business being on that ladder. That is way too tall. She's carrying some wood. Yeah. The, fucking, uh, the, the other construction guys are catcalling her, looking up her skirt. Well, that was because she was so moist from using the jackhammer, the, <laughs> the previous scene. So you could she, see her <laughs> vibrating up and down and her skirt getting just soggy as she did. She, she did seem to be enjoying that. But yes, so Jackie Mason's going to have to think of something else now. And he comes up with the, uh, I guess, maybe an age-old axiom. If you can't beat him, buy him. So he heads to find the owner of Bushwood, who may or may not be Chevy Chase. We got a nice little exchange here. Do you want to buy Bushwood from me? That's right. That's right. Well, let me ask you this. Do I own it? Thank God for these Chevy Chase scenes. Otherwise, this movie would basically be unwatchable. Yeah, this is a funny negotiation, right? He's at Chevy's house. It's clearly a very wealthy place. They're playing golf inside of it. There's a funny line about that, which was pretty good. And he just is the most like laid back and casual person ever. Well, I mean, it, it, you see it from the start with that family photo, right? Where you basically have three, that was three, great. Che three yeah. Chevys, like a baby Chevy, a mom Chevy, a dad Chevy, and... 
And yeah, so they, we, we find out what he owns 53%, I believe, of Bushwood. Controlling when, stake, as yeah. they say in the business world. So they have that funny negotiation, and it ends in kind of a hilarious way where Chevy is just like, yeah, fuck it, it's yours. Yeah. You can have it. Like, he pretends like he's going to negotiate, and really, I don't even know if he sold it to him for anything. I guess he obviously gave him some money, but they didn't even really negotiate hard. This happens after Chevy Chase has a golf ball that goes out of his window, bounces for about 250 yards, and lands in, like, a drinking glass that was set up on the green of an actual golf course hole, so... With someone, I think, laying in a chaise lounge to potentially yeah. tend the pin as it like as it has. Was this all a dream? Yeah. Did it even happen? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? The golf in this does feel like that. It does feel dreamlike. There is no kind of realism. I'm trying to remember back to the first one. Is the golf more realistic in that one than? Yeah, this I one? mean, it, it, I don't think it's realistic in the first one to be honest, right? Like, actually, the Legend of Bagger Vance might have the most realistic golf <laughs> oh, scenes of God. all time. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, no. <laughs> now it's skyrocketing up our golf list. It's going to the top, boys and girls. I do not co-sign that at all please not for get golf, my name off of that quality, no, not for okay. any of the quality but but back to the question so you asked you asked about the mo- didn't, whether didn't, there were realistic golf scenes yeah, in, the in first Caddyshack one. Like, didn't Dangerfield have a club that also fucking would like line the did. ball up and hit it for him yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a putter um, there was more to the actual I would say experience of playing golf or being in and around golf that was like more consistent with what golf is in Caddyshack 1 than Caddyshack 2 there was not many golf shots hit in Caddyshack 1 no no it was just more that the Spirit around it was related Spirit to the around it. They wore yeah. their gloves on the correct hand, for yeah. instance. Like <laughs> Stuff actually took place on the golf yeah. course, yeah. not just in and around the clubhouse. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Well, either way, with his purchase of Bushwood locked up, Jackie Mason returns to the club in triumph and gives an impassioned speech about how everyone deserves a taste of the good life, and he's going to open Bushwood up to the general public. And what better way to signal this change than with a rebranding? So goodbye, Bushwood Country Club, and hello, Jackie's Wacky Golf. <laughs> this sign is pretty incredible. You know it's going to be a fun time as you go here. He also suggests that there's going to be a lot of pickled herring eaten, you know, which uh, sounds... You would like. Yeah, yeah, I was like right on board with that. I was excited to hear that. Any kind of pickled fish sounds wonderful to me. <laughs> right, I think you said that while we were watching, this has become like a full-size version of mini golf. Oh, it has, yeah. Yeah. Literally, like, you have the windmill hole, right? I think they have a... With actual, actual like, dancing women in yeah. front of it. And yeah. yeah. They were wearing clogs. It was literally <laughs> Dutch women in clogs it that was. were on the course. And you're like, how much does it cost to pay a clog lady? I understand golf cart girls are worth it, but are clog ladies Do you want to pay them just the clog, or do you want to pay them to be part of your orgy from earlier? <laughs> <laughs> that probably costs more. I think it's also a, t- a good time to reintroduce Randy Quaid's role, right? Like, our, our, we've, we've missed him so since that, that first boardroom scene, and now... Now he's coming all fired up, ready to play some golf, right? We haven't had enough yelling, right? right? We haven't had enough of that on the course, and so we're going to bring the heat here. But he's not even the same character anymore. Like, we're seeing changes all over the place. In addition to the inclusion of a Ferris wheel, golf mascots, carnival games, and water slides, at this point we find out Randy Quaid is basically just playing Cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's Vacation. We get some uh, we get some pool shenanigans in our next scene. Uh, Jonathan Silverman apparently is now working as a lifeguard, and he's maybe a bit too focused on Jack Harturian's daughter. Hartunia reminds him that his job is to protect all of the lives around the pool. All of the lives, except Chandler Young's kid, Todd, who he encourages Silverman to mess with immediately, which he does by turning off the water slide just as he's about to go down it. We literally get his ass on fire. He goes down the slide, and the whole time (laughs) he's yelling because there's so much friction because the water's been turned off, and we have all this smoke, and he heads into the pool with a flaming asshole. This is funny for all of us, I think. This is one of the better laughs I had in this movie, and it was really low-hanging, but I couldn't help but laugh at it. 
what happens to, to Todd? Do we, do we get Quaid next? Or, oh, Todd's, uh, his bathing suit is destroyed. Well, yeah, we don't see that even. We don't. No, it's true. We no. don't get a lot here. There's that, no closure in the scene. Like, it, yeah. there's nothing. It's a joke that leads nowhere, right? Yeah. It is like we're getting vengeance on these snobby people, but there's there's nothing else to this. Now, I think we get another Randy Quaid scene here, which, no, I know you enjoyed, but for me, this is just lacking something. Uh, you know what won't help that, though? The arrival of an unhinged Dan Aykroyd doing a stupid voice because the director probably just deferred to him. Hot take that might get me kicked out of Canada. Dan Aykroyd is secretly terrible. Quick, tell me a good Dan Aykroyd movie that's not Ghostbusters or Blues Brothers. Oh, wait, go ahead. I like his character in Ghostbusters. I like some of his Saturday Night Live. I said Live besides stuff. Ghostbusters. And SNL, I guess. But that's because he has a great cast with him. I, yes. don't, I don't know anything else. And Lauren else Michaels is reigning him in. Oh, you've never seen Spies Like Us? No. I have Nothing no But Trouble? No, no idea. Dr. Detroit? No, you know I don't Neighbors? watch shit. I don't you know any of this. They're all, these are all his movies. And they I'm reading his filmography. Yeah, do they suck? I they don't do. know. Yeah, he sucks ass in this. It is the biggest downgrade. He's trying to put on a voice like Bill Murray, and it is coming off incredibly poor. It's this ex-military guy who's being hired to take out our Jackie Mason character, right? Because there's this worry that he's going to win and keep the club, he's being hired to take him out, and he's absolutely awful. He runs a food truck and this whole scene is just fucking batshit. I don't know. Like, Brad, what was your feeling on this? Yeah, well, I mean, Bill Murray, and, and for the record, and I'm sure many people know this, he was basically freelancing and riffing the entire uh, Caddyshack 1 experience, right? So Aykroyd yeah. probably came in. He says, I'm taking this role. I'm going to freelance. I'm going to do this stuff. And he literally, like Bill Murray set Aykroyd up for failure because of how good Bill Murray was in the first one. I mean, I think there's big shoes to fill, but I also think doing the voice is going to fill it because like Noel said, it is very similar to the Bill Murray voice. It's close enough he that you're like, oh, he's trying to be Bill Murray here. Yeah. He gets in eventually an antagonist relationship with the Gophers like Bill Murray. I think if he had tried to play it differently, maybe it's a different story. Although considering what I said about Dan Aykroyd's subsequent film roles, maybe not. He's not good. It brought zero funny to this movie, right? That character, it took away from me. I think you're right. The expectations on him would have been higher because of the success of the Bill Murray character. But I think that this is the worst character in the movie. In a, in a movie full of bad characters, right? Like in a movie full of people who are lesser than the first one, this is the worst one. You know what the irony is too? He probably got paid the most. Well, they probably chose Chase to pay the most. He probably got paid the second most in this whole movie. To do the worst. They probably job. played Chase yeah. more just to like have a connection to the first one in the form of an actual human being. And I bet Danny Aykroyd was the second like line item on the budget. I wish it was gopher puppeteer. Like, if that was the second line item, I'd be a much happier human, you know? <laughs> but uh, you're right. He probably was. I don't know, man. Um, he's just fucking stealing money from the movie studio. Anyway, the hits keep coming here as Jackie Mason is running late for a dinner date with Diane Cannon. He's still getting ready as she arrives, and after getting trapped in his own bathroom, he ends up having to jump out of a top-floor window and ring his own doorbell. And how does he justify suddenly being outside, dressed only in his tidy whities robe and compression socks? I just wanted to see what it would feel like to come home to you every night. I mean, that's a good attempt, but this whole thing is just getting fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's pretty silly here. We're, we're getting an escalation in the relationship between the two, though, right? They met on the golf course, and this sounds like it's getting more serious. They're going to make some dinner and have a night together. His daughter's going to make an appearance here soon, though, which is going to kind of sour the mood. 
Nolan, you, you said it was uh, culturally fitting for, for the way that Jackie Mason walked away from her. I forget exactly how you put it, but... Yeah. Well, it's exactly what we saw in the fucking jazz singer when Neil Diamond disappoints his father. <laughs> you forgot to mention, though, Brad, that uh, when she walks in, she smells the musk he is wearing. <laughs> and, like, you can infer from her reaction that she identifies it as, like, a sex musk. Like, he, put, he puts his on when he's about to sleep with some lady and she doesn't like it. Yeah, she's really uncomfortable that she knows her dad is about to try to bone down. I mean, we're older than that now. Like, if our parents are doing that, good on them. I don't know, man. When you saw Species 2 with your dad, I recall you being pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, as a teenager, seeing your dad with an erection is an uncomfortable thing. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I don't think it's just as the teenager, for the record. (laughs) I mean... But it's it's Kate, right? Like, you're 20-ish, and you see your dad, like, landing Diane Cannon. Are you not giving him a little high five and a little respect? Yeah, if, she was, if she was a son, he'd be right? high-fiving him. Yeah. Like, I mean, go, Dad. she's just too upset that he is messing up the country club that she fell in love with, right? Yeah. She can't look past that to give him the props he deserves for landing Diane here. Like, both in terms of her, like fitness and quality but also in terms of the kind of person she is she's gonna be a good mom i think this is gonna work out for her you can definitely have worse like stepmoms i guess yeah for sure i think they would have some fun together and she'll also have her best interests in heart and i also don't think she's purely here to be a gold digger despite their age difference Ooh, now that i think about it though she does contain many of the classic qualities of a gold digger let's think about it she's in good shape indeterminate career Right, like yoga instructor, maybe hangs out. We don't even know though. Yeah. Hangs out at places where rich guys are. Yeah, is willing to date Jackie Mason. These are all big warning signs for me. You know? Do you think he gives but a fuck? Yeah, at I was going to say, yeah, does he, he care? doesn't care. Yeah. No, he doesn't Probably care. Not. As long as he can get his d- quit, he's get Randy Quaid to drop a prenup. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I will fucking murder you if he takes his money. That's It'll be written on the back of yeah. a Shoney's napkin. Jesus. Lawyer Randy Quaid. Shoney's. I've heard a Shoney's reference in years. Yeah. Uh, well, things just keep getting worse here. As back at the country club, Robert Stack has found some kind of loophole that's going to stop Jackie Mason from building what he wants and might even get him out of Bushwood as well. This scene is pretty unremarkable except for some more good Chevy Chase stuff. And after a hilariously inept scuffle, Chase suggests they settle this the old-fashioned way. Partners golf. So after all of this, we are literally just running back the first movie here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much we're getting down to that that end and, and finish scene, and it is going to be back on the golf course. In this case, it is Jackie, Wacky Jackie's. Uh, wacky Jackie's yeah, uh, uh, mini golf. Wacky golf. Let's call it. Knows? Yeah. But I would play that mini golf course. Well, before we get to the big showdown, Dan Aykroyd rears his ugly head again to try and blow up Jackie Mason's car. But, of course, he bombs the wrong Rolls Royce and gets Robert Stack's car instead. We also get some training footage from the next day where Chevy Chase tries to impart some wisdom to Harturian. It's basically forgettable, a low-grade slapstick comedy, but there is a good line here after he tries to get Jackie Mason to be the ball. Do me a favor. Why don't you be the ball? If I wanted to be a piece of sports equipment, I'd be a lady's bicycle seat. (laughs) That's enjoyable. Come on. (laughs) Uh, This is one of the hundred of things that he said from his mouth that popped me. I was trying to think if there was a more sexual, like, sporting equipment that you could be and I, I couldn't pull one out. I was trying to think of it. Does anyone have something that would be more sexual than a lady's bicycle seat? I mean, I've been to Amsterdam. I've seen more sexual things done with ping pong balls and ladies. <laughs> ping pong balls is a good call. Yeah, That's a great okay. call, actually, yeah. We get more Ackroyd now as Robert Stack brings him back one last time, hopefully, for another attempt to sabotage and or kill Jackie Mason. It's going to be with exploding golf balls this time, which Ackroyd demonstrates after another two minutes of whatever this dumb fucking voice is. 
He's expecting full success, especially when he spots his target on the course the next day, but he's quickly impeded by the gopher showing up and stealing some of his gear, and by the fact that he keeps getting distracted by the hot ladies he sees in his binoculars. What do you call them? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm trying to pull back this uh, context, too. And, and the hot lady was oh yeah, <laughs> Stack's, Stack's wife. It was Stack's wife. He sees her bend over in a skirt, and he says she knows what she's doing. And he calls her an acronym that I'd never heard before. He calls her a name. It wasn't an acronym. It was a Smurf. Oh, it was a Smurf. Yeah. You're right. So he calls her. How am I supposed to do work like this when there's Smurfs like that or something to that effect? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know could, how you If it is an acronym, that, but... what could it possibly be? F is clearly fuck. Senior madam under, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What's that? We, the... Senior mom you'd really fuck. <laughs> there the we U go. Is the U? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's a terrible. <laughs> Maybe. Senior mom you'd really fuck. <laughs> Well, at this point, I feel like it would uh, behoove us to raise a glass to Diane Cannon and all the other Smurfs out there in the world. You know what? We introduced the beer. What are we drinking here for this uh, uh, for this Scotch so, offering? So uh, a nice single malt, of course, right? We're gonna we're gonna do something for Nolan, and uh, we're gonna open up a bottle of Tomatin or Tomatin whiskey, depending on how you pronounce it. Twelve um, year old, nice bourbon cherry me, cask. Never had it. Um, sounds really good. I like the double cask here. I drank a good amount of it at the British Open this past summer. I was actually uh, going between that and Lee Westwood's. Uh, it's the classic fucking news guy. That was a drop. Yeah. That was a drop. Right, thank right you there. for thank you for coming in and perfectly embodying exactly the Bushwood ethos that we hope to have here on today's episode. Where were you, Lee Trevino's? Is that what you just said? No, I didn't. Uh, okay, Lee no. Carvalho. No, you missed okay. that too. Lee Carvalho. <laughs> Simpsons reference, yeah. right? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so how about a proper two-finger pour? Yeah, for Jackie Mason's trying yeah. to give Diane Cannon a two-finger <laughs> yeah, pour. Yeah. Uh, and how appropriate, because as they go to tee off for this final showdown, we learn they are playing what's called uh, Scotch Doubles, Scotch Twos. What do they call it? Scotch Twos. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. You hit your partner's drive into the green, and then you basically play alternate shot from there. So basically you have two shots each, and then whichever ball you're happiest with after those two shots, you putt out from there. Alternate shot. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, they're into this matchup now, and somewhere around the eighth hole, Jonathan Silverman figures out that Hartunian's slice is so bad he should tee off backwards. I'm not kidding. And Dan Aykroyd, running back his old plumber butt bit from SNL, breaks out an Uzi to try to blast the gopher and ends up crossbowing himself in the ass. And for the record, I'm still waiting on one of you guys to name that great Dan Aykroyd character I've forgotten about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your, your resounding silence tells me that I am correct. Well, while I continue to wait for you guys to think of one, it's all coming down to the last hole here, and Robert Stack slyly signals a pre-crossbow accident Dan Aykroyd by waving his hat in the air in front of a whole crowd of people. Even Aykroyd is like, Very subtle, Mrs. Esterhouse. I read ya. <laughs> and despite the expert golf advice of Cousin Eddie, fresh off of taking a leak off the fairway, Jonathan Silverman biffs his approach shot, and the failures keep coming as Miffy tries to whitewash Hartunian's daughter by suggesting she shorten her last name to Hart, which causes the daughter to cuss her out and push her down a hill, which is exactly where this movie has been headed for the last 85 minutes, straight downhill. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely correct, although I did get a good laugh of the Miffy character falling down the hill and what, crashing into a Warner Brothers character? It was Yosemite. Uh, Yosemite. Yeah, yeah, was... yeah, that was pretty entertaining, her going ass over tea kettle in a short skirt, like crashing into stuff down that hill. I enjoyed it. That character was annoying. In connection to your last thought, yes, this movie has really not carried very well over the 90 minutes that we've been watching it. I think it's just the grand expectations that come from trying to meet the first Caddyshack here. They're, you're not going to get close. You're trying to follow the formula, and things are just not working here. 
Well, as she's tumbling down the hill, I'm like, can we just get to the final putt scene, right? Like, you know, there's going to be a standoff similar to what was what happened in Caddyshack one. And, and yeah, it was like, I, I enjoyed the tide out of her, like, you know, skittering down a hill with grass stained little, you know, <laughs> blue, blue skirt and Yosemite Sam's chaw. But, but yeah, let's get, let's, <laughs> let's get, actually let's, get to the uh, point that yeah, matters. You're right. Yeah. yeah they're just were, were you, uh, were you hoping for a top to pop open? Like Nolan was, he was fucking just dying for it. He's like, come on, let me see. We saw the other week in cat people. You hope you hit the ground or just explode open. And I missed that. I was really disappointed that I missed the cat people t- explosion. I was hoping for it here is really, but, uh, they didn't hold the, uh, what, what was the rating on this movie? Probably PG. Yeah. It would have been nice if, they held this to a they, they could have went with some more swearing or other things that would have made this feel a little more real i'm like brad i'm just ready for this scene to fucking be over <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know if you know I'm, run, I'm running through scenes like a lot faster yeah, i'm just yeah. done with this you're not so, giving yeah. much space to this on the podcast or I'm during not. the filming you're That's like right. fuck this thing it's over i'm enjoying the company but not the movie but like you happening. said it's, it's it's the expectations of trying to match the original but even like the chevy chase scenes are getting less funny like at the beginning, I said we peaked at 17 minutes. Chase is good. He's doing some stuff. And then we see him a couple more times. And they're still well, funnier the, than everything else, but it's not as funny as fucking ch- the old stuff. The Chase filler scene at the end is just atrocious. Yes. Like it's Like, we'll, we'll get there maybe. I hope not. <laughs> Slippery slope here. We're, we're trying to get <laughs> to not. the end of the podcast. Oh, we're going to pack it all in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We're definitely going to get to that. But first, Hartunian's about to putt for the lead, and his daughter stops by to reconcile and wish him luck. Meanwhile, Dan Aykroyd has recovered enough from the poison crossbow arrow to line up an exploding golf ball shot, but at the last minute, the gopher grabs the ball, then quickly runs it down to the green where he swaps it out with Robert Stack's ball. Now, Harturian sinks his putt, and when Stack goes to hit his, it, of course, explodes, giving Jackie Mason the win. And what really makes this land for me is when the smoke clears, we see the whole Robert Stack family covered in ash with their hair blown back in that I've-just-been-electrocuted style. That joke was a real hole-in-one. Yeah, it's pretty flat. It kind of reminds me of the Warner Brothers, right? This looks like something that was out of a cartoon. It does not land very well. I know someone drops in a like d- joke here that kind of carries like some merit compared to. No, the it was when they tee off. Uh, they were like, "Who's in the biggest shoe size?" And Silver oh, was, like, was anyone way beat earlier. Anyone yeah. beat a twelve D? Yeah, and that was the best out of this. Che- Chevy Chase made sure to let everyone know. Chevy Chase like, "I can't, but I'm not playing." So he's, <laughs> he made sure to slide that in there. Oh man, it's so bad. This time where they're all like covered in ash and their hair's all up. That putter he hit with oh. is all mangled. I know you commented on that. You were you were angry at the sort of like destruction of a great putter. Yeah, I mean, I, like why ruin a golf club, right? Why not just char it? Why not torch it? Like, why ruin a beloved like, comedy movie? <laughs> 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 and can we talk about Hartunian's putt? He hits it. Like immediately Nolan says, that's way short. And then, <laughs> and then yeah. this magic robot just picks it up and just caresses it across the green and circles it around the hole about four times and, and, and right in there, right? Like, so... Like, I was I was pissed that that went in. Like right? he would have been twenty feet short with the amount of power all day he put on that putt. I was pissed about the fact that he's doing the worst fucking attempt at the. No 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 no. He's so off rhythm. He's so slow with it. No 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 no. Oh my god, dude. Jackie, fucking brutal. Jackie Mason tried to I'm ruin this insult- movie one last yeah. time. God damn, Jackie and then, Mason. And then obviously, uh, I guess the Gopher wins, right? Clearly, you saying the Gopher is the real hero of this movie? Look at this, <laughs> fucking seamless. We've been running that bit since season one. The yeah. Gopher, the real hero of this movie. Well, uh, this thing's all done now. Miffy's mom calls her a bitch, which was strangely rewarding. And after a quick Ackroyd Chevy chasing that gives us one last bit of innuendo, Ackroyd asks if Chase will suck out the poison once he pulls the arrow out of his ass, and Chase replies, Let me get this straight. You pull it out, I suck. 
I mean, that's not good, but at this point, it's probably a top five joke in this whole movie, so I'll take it. Like uh, Top three, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of one of very few lines I wrote down in my book today because uh, it was not carrying very well. We get a tandem makeout scene here. That's what we get next. Everyone's celebrating. Harturian's kissing Diane Cannon while Jonathan Silverman kisses his daughter. And the gopher pops up one final time to give us a freeze frame. <laughs> and we are finally... Finally into the credits, and thank God, because this was rough. <laughs> you mean you didn't love this? It's not going to number one on your golf-related movie scales? It's not Daddy even going to number four. Legend of Beggar Vance is oh. safe at number four, not to worry. Oh, my God. I thought, it, I yeah. thought Beggar was higher than four at this point, based on the conversation today. <laughs> I, I, I also do. It was true. I enjoyed the yeah. experience of watching it with both of you. Uh, this movie sucked absolute ass. This seems like a perfect point for us to transition to our ratings. We're talking about how much we enjoyed the movie. We've got a three-man booth tonight, so it's going to be a three-person rating the way we do this. We rate the movie two times on a scale of one to ten. One to ten for how bad it is. One to ten for how enjoyable. And the goal is to get a ten out of ten on both scales, or what we call the Crit 20. And I will say, for me... This is not going to be a 10 because there was just enough like laughs in here for me and enough Chevy Chase specifically uh, with the comedy that I'm only going to give this a 9. There's a ton of shit wrong with this. Dan Aykroyd is a fucking travesty and I will die on this hill for the rest of my life. He's not good in stuff. He's bad and he fucking stinks the joint out in this one. But Chevy Chase is still funny doing Chevy Chase things. Yes, he's cashing a paycheck. Yes, it is like one-third peak Chase, but one-third of Chevy Chase at his peak is still a lot funnier than a lot of fucking people, especially the ones in this movie. So I got enough laughs out of this to give this a nine. What about you, Noel? <laughs> I love that your rating was based only on the inclusion of Chevy Chase and how shit Dan Aykroyd was. There was not a lot of good comedy. It was throw everything out there and hope that something lands. And they landed, out of the 100 things they threw against the board, they landed three, three to five. Yeah. yeah, like, right? You're 95% garbage here in all of the things you're throwing at it. Ackroyd was the most egregious part of this entire movie. I, I completely agree on that. All of this said, it, <laughs> I had this as a nine, too. Okay. Uh, so I didn't disagree. There was enough funny in here. I like the Silverman character. I actually like the... <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would pop you. But it, it as a comedy and one that like is trying to cash in on another movie, it just falls so just flat. Just a miserable failure. Yeah. yeah. So nine for me. How about you, Brad? Um, so I, I I maybe didn't have it as bad as you guys. Okay. Yeah. I um uh yeah Jackie Mason terrible golf scenes terrible. We talked about this earlier before the before watching it. It's like you struggle to not connect this movie to the first one, right? Like, and what I think about is is how much I enjoyed. Caddyshack one like it is an iconic epic film mm -hmm. this just chat all over it I 100% agree with that um I'm an eight bad maybe it's fair I, yeah. yeah it it comes with a lot of like it still has money it still has people in it it's still like logins. reasonably funded still got good music you, right you paid for a good soundtrack it's edited well Warner Brothers there's, Warner Brothers right like, yeah there's not a lot of mistakes I understand it's hard to give it a 10 compared to sold on the same DVD as Caddyshack 1 yeah. <laughs> that's valuable <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but but so 8 for bad what about enjoyable yeah. so this Are is the different one to me yeah. first oh, you, you should be going yeah, reverse yeah, order yeah. you should yeah. be going reverse order draft okay I I enjoyed I enjoyed Quaid for like uh, you know a cup of coffee and then he and then he just jumped the shark. Um, I enjoyed watching with you guys, so so that was like watching it together actually made the experience you know more interesting, more pleasurable. 
So Diane Cannon. So I'll bring I'll bring that back. I'll be bringing her up too. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, she brought me up. I'll bring her up too. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm gonna go seven enjoyability. Wow, wow, man, you really enjoyed yourself. That's good. I thought that was bad. Are, you enjoyed seventy percent of this movie. The movie was like I enjoyed seventy percent of my time with you, Cooper. Well, there you go. Yeah. It's always yeah. Um, no. So we're not, okay. not rating the experience. So, so five it's is not like a fucking Yelp nothing. review. Five's like, the middle. It's a middle. Okay, four. Then we're four. We're below five. <laughs> so it, it was below. a little bit negative, um, yeah. but not completely negative because you were with us and it wasn't horrible. No, but now you're flipping it on me. You're just flipping it on me now because I enjoyed this. The part of you guys yeah. being there, I didn't yeah, enjoy yeah. it. No, but if but, you had watched this by yourself at home. Yeah, I know. I probably have at some point in my life and yeah. I probably turned it off. So let's okay. go with a four. There you go. Noel, how about you? Um, all the downgrades were rough. Diane's character was the standout performance of the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the puppet work was wonderful. I didn't mind the uh, to see that come back to you know, and the music included was good. But there was just so much wrong with this thing that it was hard to enjoy wholeheartedly. It was such a almost like sacrilegious experience watching something that was such a cult classic and everyone loves turned into this pile of shit that that was hurtful to me in a way. All of that in the mash together combined, it left me at a five. Okay. Um, so I'm going to be kind of in between the two of you because you can I feel be in between a four and a five. Let me finish. Would you let me finish? <laughs> fuck, what the fuck? Like, Jesus Christ. No, like it, it's everything you guys have both said. Like it, it is a regrettable sequel. There are significant downgrades across the board. A lot of this is not funny, but there were about four things I enjoyed in this. The Chevy Chase scenes are funny, although diminishing returns on those. Uh, Diane Cannon, Diane Cannon, and Diane the, Cannon. The, the soundtrack's <laughs> decent. You got logins in there. You got to respect that. So I had this as a four as well. But as you know, with the inclusion of the freeze frame, oh, yeah. I will automatically bump up into the enjoyable one more to a five. So then I'm in between the two of you, okay? I, I started at a four. I ended up at a five. By far the best part of this was watching it together. And Brad, having you here was delightful. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you for bringing us this scotch, which although I did not enjoy it from a like a zero one binary scale, it was very smooth. So thanks for bringing that. Uh, speaking of the alcohol we've been drinking, how did you feel about the beer? Yeah, I mean, triple bogey for me is a, is a go-to on the golf course, right? As, as Nolan said at the start of the, the podcast, they, they do focus on golf courses and uh and and i have crushed between one and 17 of these in a single day yeah on the golf course before so i i would i would say very crushable it, it light nice easy drinking lager very positive reviews for me too uh this was gone within the first 15 minutes of our recording this it was oh we're on our third or fourth yeah. drinks like this is yeah <laughs> it, absolutely crushable i really really enjoyed it uh for for what it is but if you're out there on the golf course or you see it in your local uh, liquor establishment. I know that they're in the LCBO now to feel free to grab a whole bunch of these. You're going to crush them for sure. Uh, this scotch though is delightful. Um, just very, very easy to drink. Almost no burn or like secondary flavor. It is something that goes down super, super smoothly. And I love the mix of bourbon and sherry cask finishing on this. It makes it have a little bit of extra flavor, but not be something that's painful. I, I could sit and we could finish this bottle It'd be a problem for Shall tomorrow, we? but uh, well, we might, we might. <laughs> I don't know if Cooper's going to join us for the rest of the the scotch, though. There you go, Brad. Much like Diane Kennedy, you got Noel fucking hard for the scotch. <laughs> so there's that. Um, this beer, I as someone who is both an infrequent and terrible golfer, knowing that these were waiting for me in the cooler 
in the fucking cart or back at the clubhouse would make golfing very tolerable. I'd be totally fine with going out there, fucking shanking it and being like, you know what? Who gives a fuck? I'm going to go back, crack it a triple bogey. Very enjoyable. Clean, crisp, refreshing, just super easy to drink. If you're by a beer store or a liquor store that sells it, wherever you are, if you can get it, drink it if you like regular beer for regular guys. If you're, if you're a Jackie Mason and less of a Robert Stack, this is the fucking this beer for you. This is the beer for you. I mean, it it is a great beer, I think, if you're looking to crush a few, right? Like if yes, you're looking please. for a like three to six to nine to 12 evening, these are what you're going to be able to take down and have both an enjoyable yet not a super like bloated hungover kind of feeling. These are really easy to crush beers. If you thought that was delicious and went down easy, wait till you hear about what we're watching next week. Next week, we're going to be watching another Blaxploitation classic. This one, perhaps the most well-known Blaxploitation movie. We're going to be watching Blackula. <laughs> oh, shit. We're going horror Blaxploitation? He's the Black Dracula. This could be something. I, I have not seen this, as you would assume. Well, here's all you need to know. His bite was out of sight. Oh, my <laughs> God, yes. I'm looking forward to this. Does it take place in Transylvania? No, it takes place in, like, New York or L.A. in the fucking 70s, so you can expect all of the exploitation tropes we're used to, plus vampires. I mean, what more can you ask for? I'm excited. Get excited. It's going to be a good time. Uh, before then, if you haven't already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to send us an email, thebmbpodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. We've got some more audience requests coming up soon, and uh, we want to thank Brad again for being with us here today. Uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you'll join us next week for Blackula. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it bushy. <laughs> the Shack is back. <laughs> <laughs>